All right. Folks, we are going back to the virgin birth tonight, and this is such a common topic, but I don't feel like it's very common because it's so important. The humanity of Jesus Christ is just as important as the deity of Jesus Christ concerning the gospel. Jesus Christ was 100% human and 100% God. He's the only one that has ever had that title, ever. Jesus Christ, part of the triune Godhead, came down from heaven as deity, was virgin-born humanity, was a substitute atonement in his death for our sin. He rose from the dead, quickened, alive, ascended back to heaven where he came from in the first place, and he's not done yet. He's coming back a second time. Folks, all of that encompasses the gospel. You cannot leave out any portion of that tonight and have a gospel. Over the centuries, some religions, some cults, some cultures, and I would say mainly the engine of Satan, has had, they ha, he has tried to show other virgin births, and it took the whole time two weeks ago for me to walk through a number of those in history trying to prove other virgin births in order to make Jesus Christ's virgin birth look a little bit more common if there were dozens and dozens of other virgin births. But there wasn't. There was only one. And it was concerning Jesus Christ. Tonight, I have come with an outline, and Brother Woody has them. He's going to pass those out tonight. We're going to try to get through all the points tonight. So I need to get started and get moving. And the text is from Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through the end of the chapter, verses 18 through verse 25. And I spent the whole time last week discussing the possibilities of a virgin birth and the incredibleness of it. To come to the point where then at the end, instead of the beginning, at the end, I went ahead and read the text. And you have read that text so many times before, folks. But after a thorough thinking of a virgin birth and the impossibilities of it and only one virgin birth ever happening, and that's Jesus Christ from Mary, you read that text and all of a sudden... It just jumps out at you everywhere. So tonight, as we go point to point to point, we'll read the verse and we'll walk through this. I asked someone tonight, I said, I'm going to be talking about a virgin birth. And I said, a woman being impregnated without not knowing a man, Jesus Christ. I said, do you believe that? And they said, yes. And I said, well, how do you prove that? 
And they said, God. And it was like the perfect answer. Because you have to trust and by faith understand what God did. If not, it isn't believable. If you don't trust the Bible, if you don't have a relationship with God. So knowing all this tonight, I want to preach to you on the virgin birth. And I want to go to point number one in your outline tonight. Number one, I want you to see the conception by the Holy Ghost. The conception by the Holy Ghost. And in verse 18, if you have your paper Bibles in front of you or your electronic, go ahead and turn to Romans, uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of who, folks? The Holy Ghost. That's radical, folks. You can't read that tonight and like just casually read that and like, well, no big deal. The Holy Ghost and praying to a woman on earth. Like, really? That's crazy. That's radical. That's missional. It's never happened before. The word birth here is actually from the same Greek root as if you go back to verse 1, it says generation. That's the exact same Greek root there, generation. And it indicates that Matthew is here giving a parallel account of Jesus' ancestry, uh, this time from his father's side. Uh, we have little information about Mary. It is likely that she was a, a native from Nazareth and that she came from, uh, you tell me folks, um, did she come from a rich family or a poor family? Yeah, from a poor family. Mary, we know from the word of God, was a godly woman. She was sensitive and she was submissive to the Lord's will in her life. Um, after the angel Gabriel's announcement that she would be the mother of the Son of God. How would you like to be told that? You are going to be the mother of the Son of God. And that's radical, folks. It's, it's, it's almost insane. It's almost unbelievable. You're going to be the mother of the Son of God. Mary says in Luke 1, verse 38, she says, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And then the angel departed from her. She was sensitive. She was submissive. Mary was also believing. She wondered how she could conceive. She says, how can this be? Right? How can this be? She says, I'm a what? A what? How can this be? I'm not stupid. I'm a virgin. How can this possibly be? But she never questioned the angel was sent from God or that what he said was true. She couldn't comprehend it. She knew women didn't have babies without men, without a husband. She knew that. She's like, I don't get it. How's this going to happen? How can it be? I'm a virgin. I've never known a man. There's this young man that I really have a crush on. I really like a lot. But how in the world? But I believe what you've said, angel. I believe it. I don't understand it, but I believe it. Elizabeth. Filled with the Holy Spirit, testified of Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 45. It says, 
And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Unquote. Now, we know even less about Joseph, folks. He was, what was his trade, folks? I think he was a banker. Was he a banker? A carpenter. Good. Thank you for your help. You're right on top of things tonight. He was a carpenter. But more importantly than a carpenter, see, there's lots of positions in here tonight. You men and women are very wise. Your positions in secular society, very important. Um, but that's not your highest calling, folks. The most important thing, not just that he was a carpenter, in Matthew chapter 1 here in verse 19, it says, folks, that he was a what kind of man? A just man. Folks, at the end of the day, it's not your position at work. It's not your, uh, how you're taking care of your family. It, that's just a platform. At the end of the day, what do people know about you? And more importantly, what does God know about you? Are you a just person? you just man? Are you a just woman? Um, it is possible that both Joseph and Mary were quite old or quite young, folks, when they were betrothed. Quite young, right? Quite young. Um, a little bit about the betrothal. Girls were often betrothed as young as anybody want to guess tonight. I love for people to think and work through stuff with me. Anybody want to guess how young sometimes they were betrothed? 12 and 13. You nailed it. Good job. 12, 13 years old. And boys, uh, when they were several years older, usually, um, by Jewish custom, a betrothal meant more than an engagement in the modern sense today. Um, a Hebrew marriage involved two stages, the betrothal and then actually the marriage ceremony. The marriage was almost always arranged by the families of the bride and groom, often without consenting with the children. It would be like uh, uh, Pastor Carl Becky going to John's parents and saying, hey, we've got, this guy, we've got this young lady and you've got this young guy and they look like they'd make a nice husband and wife. I, I'm picking on her because I've seen her come in. And, like, and they wouldn't even like, hey, Deborah, what do you think about Jonathan? Hey, Jonathan, what do you think about Deborah? If the parents would do the work. That's often how a marriage happened uh, back then. Um, a contract was made and was sealed by payment of the dowry or bride price. Uh, how much is Deborah? Oh, she's that much? Okay, here's a check for whatever amount uh, is there. Um, and that would be paid for the, groom's, the groom or his family to the bride's father. Okay, so Pastor Carl would get a nice little check from Jonathan's family, his parents, for, for Deborah. How would you like to get married like that today, young ladies, young men? Um, this dowry served to compensate the father for wedding expenses and to provide a type of actually like, like an insurance for the, the bride in the event that the groom became dissatisfied and he decided to divorce her. So it was kind of like an insurance policy, a compensation the contract was considered binding as soon as it was made. And the man and woman were considered actually legally married 
even though the marriage ceremony and the consummation of that marriage ceremony often did not happen until as much as probably a year later, okay? The second part, the first part is the marriage ceremony. The second part, the betrothal period served as a time of probation, um, um, a, a testing time of fidelity, a testing time of faithfulness to each other. During that period, the bride and the groom usually had little, if any, social contact at all. Jonathan, you stay in Washington. Deborah, you stay in Little River. And don't call, don't talk, don't FaceTime. Well, they didn't have FaceTime back then, did they? I don't think so. So don't talk to each other. Let mom and dad set it all up. Let them arrange it. Okay, you're betrothed. And, uh, and then about a year down the road, uh, this wedding ceremony is going to happen. So during that time, that period, the bride and groom usually didn't spend much time together. Now, we're thinking about who? From the text, we're thinking about Joseph and Mary. Okay? Joseph and Mary had experienced, did they experience lovemaking up to this point or no? According to what? According to scripture, according to the Bible. They had no sex at this point. Right, folks? That's a fact. That's a blanket statement. We know that. Okay? They had not touched each other in any fashion. As the phrase actually says, before they came together, folks. Before they came together. That's what the indication there is. Mary's virginity was an important evidence of her godliness, folks. Her reason for questioning Gabriel's announcement of her conception was the fact that she knew she was a virgin. How in the world can I be pregnant? It's, it's, it's almost uncomprehendable. Now, obviously, Jesus' conception by the Holy Spirit, it is a great mystery. It's a great mystery. Even had he wanted to do so, how could God have explained to us in terms we could comprehend how such a blending of the divine and human could have accomplished this. I don't know. There's this term called anthropomorphism. Anybody ever hear of that word before? It really has everything to do with God taking what God does and putting it into our language for us to understand him better. It's like, does God have a strong right arm? doesn't, but it explains his omnipotence, his power, his strength. And so it is an incredible mystery. It's hard to comprehend. We could no more fathom such a thing than we could fathom God's creating the universe from nothing. Go figure that. How in the world did he do it? Created the universe from nothing. That's a mystery, folks. It's hard to comprehend, but it's a mystery. But by faith, we believe what God has done. And there's so much more to say about that topic. It's a whole other preaching topic. We can no more fathom such a thing as 
his being one God in three persons. Now, I could have a number of you come up and explain that, and each one of you would give some kind of different scenario, probably. But the, none of them completely give justice to the triune Godhead. One God in three persons. We could no more fathom such a thing as him, his giving an entirely new spiritual nature to those who trust in his son. How do you figure Jim, at one point, is so sinful that there's nothing he could do to ever deserve going to heaven in a relational situation with God. And now all of a sudden, he's sitting in that seat that he's completely justified. He's a new creature. He's adopted into the family of God. How do you explain that? It's a mystery. So what I'm trying to say to you, even though you can't quite comprehend and figure out the virgin birth, there's a whole lot of other things that are really hard to comprehend. But we're not like being stupid and like, well, we're just taking God for his word. And like, you know, all these smart secular scientists, liberal scientists, they're like, well, you're just stupid. You're just believing stupidity. No. Not at all. Understanding these things, we'll have to wait till we get to heaven. But we do accept it now by faith. Paul is very clear when he tells us in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son made of a woman. God sent forth his Son, and his Son was made of a woman. There is no human father in that verse, folks. No human father. Jesus had to have one human parent or he could not have been human and thereby a partaker of our flesh. He had to have one human parent. But he also had to have divine parentage or he could not have made a sinless and perfect sacrifice on our behalf. So, there's this one human parent there's this divine parentage and they came together in what we call a virgin birth today from God's word secondly tonight I want you to see in our outline the challenge coming from the angel and this is in verses 19 and 20 the challenge coming from the angel Verses 19 and 20. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of who again? The Holy Ghost, folks. The Holy Ghost. Now remember, even though Joseph and Mary were only betrothed at this time, she was considered his wife. And for the very reason that he was a just man, Joseph had a double problem, folks. At least in his own mind, he had a double problem. First, he knew because of his just moral standards 
that he should not go through with the marriage because of Mary's pregnancy. What do I do now? Uh, we're not, I mean, we're married, but I didn't know, I, I haven't had a relationship with her, an intimate relationship with her. What do we do? Secondly, because of his love, not only his just moral standards, but because of his love and kindness, he couldn't bear the thought of shaming her publicly, much less demanding her death. The only rational thing in his mind is what did Mary do? Come on, folks. She slept around, didn't she? She slept with another man. That's the only rational thing he's thinking in his mind. And he's got a pure, pure purity standard, but he also has a heart of love and kindness. He was in love with her. At the same time all this is going on in this young man's head, there is no evidence that Joseph was ever felt anger or resentment or bitterness, and that in itself is radical. You would be sitting down going through biblical counseling with a young person that their spouse committed adultery. There would be some sort of resentment or anger or bitterness and there's no evidence of that in Joseph's life he had been shamed if it were true but his concern was not for his own shame but his concern was for her still I mean that is really incredible he was still thinking of her even when the strong possibility was that she slept with another man while they were betrothed, while they were waiting that, that year time to really actually consummate their marriage vows. So because he loved her so deeply, he determined simply to put her away or divorce her privately. But while he was thinking about the situation, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And the angel told him not to be afraid to take Mary for his wife because she is pregnant by the Holy Spirit, not by some man. Joseph! It's like, how do you, how do, you do that? I mean, he, he is a man, just like you and I, folks. And he's thinking, she slept with a man. She, she's living in adultery. And I love her, though, and I'll divorce her privately. I don't want to put her to shame. I certainly don't want her stoned to death. And then he gets this revelation, folks, not to be afraid. Because she's pregnant, but she's not pregnant by another guy. She's pregnant by God. Incredible. What a dream. Now, let me give you the explanation of that, okay? That's number three. The explanation, I love people, I love bringing you right into the scene, right into the situation. And that's what you've got to do. The Bible is not some 2,000, 4,000 historic book. It's alive, it's then and there, and it's personal to us today. So get right into the scene what's going on with Joseph and Mary. Number three, the explanation concerning the son. The explanation concerning the son. And this, folks, is in our text in verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son. Okay, not only is she pregnant, not only is she pregnant by the Holy Ghost, but she's going to have a baby boy. I mean, the balloon is going to go up, it's going to pop, 
And is it going to be pink or blue coming out of it? She's going to have a baby boy, a son. So she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name. There's some specifics here, folks. Call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Some real specific facts going on here, folks. Now, as to reinforce the truth of Jesus' divine conception, the angel tells Joseph that she will bring forth a son. Joseph would act as actually Jesus' earthly father, or you could say legal father, but he would only be a foster father, folks. A foster father. And Joseph was told to name his son Jesus, just like Zacharias was told to name his baby boy his son who? Yeah. We're not told the purpose of the importance of John's name, but that of Jesus was made very clear the importance of his name, was, wasn't it? Jesus is the form of the Hebrew Joshua, which has the basic meaning Jehovah or Yahweh will save. And folks, by his own work, Jesus would save his people from their sin. That's very specific, and that's very important to Israel back then, and it's incredibly important to you and I tonight. You that are believers in this room, you that are Christians in this room, it's incredibly important that his name is called Jesus, Yahweh, Jehovah, meaning Jehovah saves his people. And you are evidence of the work he's been doing. And he's still doing that. How many of you have family folk that are saved in your family? I've got two brothers and a sister, and my two brothers are saved. My mother got saved six months after I got saved, and I was able, Susan and I were able to disciple her. My, my, my wife's mother got saved a few late years after that, and Susan and I were, were privileged to be able to sit down and disciple her. How many of you have family out there? Christ was sent to save his people, and tonight you are part of that. Number four, let's find out some more good stuff about the virgin birth here, the facts of the Word of God versus secular mythology all throughout the years. Number four, the fulfillment regarding the prophecy. The fulfillment regarding the prophecy, and we see that in verses 22 and 23. Now, all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord. And how did He do that? How did the Lord do that? By the prophet saying, Behold, something radical is happening. Behold, a virgin, this doesn't go together. It's an oxymoron. They're contrasting, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. God with us. 
At this point, folks, Matthew, the author here, Matthew explains that Jesus' virgin birth was predicted by God in the Old Testament. And I absolutely love prophecy. I was saved because of studying about Old Testament prophecy and coming to the realization that, huh, there's New Testament prophecy and this Old Testament prophecy happened exactly what the Bible said and now this New Testament stuff, particularly the second coming of Christ, you better believe that's going to happen. And I, for one, I don't care about all the book titles and all this, I didn't want to be left behind. So, folks, at this point, Matthew says this was, this situation that's going on with Joseph and Mary and this virgin birth, it's not something, like, new. It was foretold. It's Old Testament prophecy. And the Lord clearly identifies the birth of Christ as a fulfillment of that prophecy. What happened with Christ, what happened with Mary and Joseph, what happened with the shepherds, what happened with the 20 wise men, I don't know. It might not have been three. It might not have been say If you were in a Sunday school class, we talked all about that. It was a lot of fun. What happened in this event was foretold. It was talked about. It was told by the Lord. The words, folks, here in our text in verse 22, the words, now all this, it refers to the facts about the divine birth of Jesus Christ. And the great miracle of his birth was the fulfillment of which was spoken by the Lord, by the prophet. Folks, that phrase gives a simple, straightforward definition of, I don't know how often you've ever studied or talked about biblical inspiration. But that phrase is all about biblical inspiration as the word of the Lord came through a human vehicle. Who did that come through? It came through a human vehicle. It came through the prophets. That's biblical inspiration. Where'd you get your Bible from? Folks, where'd you get your Bible from? From the Lord, right? Well, who penned it for the Lord? Humans. Prophets. Biblical prophets. God's prophets. God does the saying, the human instrument is only a means to bring the divine word to men. So based on these words of the Lord given through Matthew, okay, the Old Testament text of Isaiah must be interpreted as predicting the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Matthew repeatedly uses the phrase, might be fulfilled, might be fulfilled. Might, those are like, you've got to grab those. It's like little gold nuggets when you're reading. Might be fulfilled, gold nugget. You've got to catch those, look at those. It indicates ways in which Jesus and events related to his earthly ministry actually were fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. The basic truths and happenings of the New Testament were actually, they weren't new. It wasn't like this, wow, all this new stuff. They were actually culminations, completions, or fulfillments of revelation God had already made. Though often the revelation had been unveiled or partial form. Let me give you a little scene here and stay with me just for a minute. The scene in Isaiah chapter 7, folks, it is the reign of King Ahaz in Judah. And though his son, the great Uzziah, he was a wicked king, 
Uzziah was great. His son was wicked Ahaz. He filled Jerusalem with idols, reinstated the worship of Moloch, and he actually burned his own son as a sacrifice to the gods of Moloch. Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, king of Israel, decided to remove Ahaz and replace him with a king who would do their bidding. And in the face of such a threat to the people of Israel and to the royal line of David, King Ahaz, instead of turning to God for help, which you would think, he sought to help the help of Tiglath-Pileser, the evil king of the Syrians. He even plundered and he sent to Tiglath-Pileser the gold and silver from the temple. So Isaiah, he comes to King Ahaz and reported that God would deliver the people from the two enemies of God. He said, King Ahaz, I know you've been wicked and I know all this is going on, but God will deliver you from these two wicked kingdoms, these kings. When Ahaz refused to listen to Isaiah, Isaiah responds with a remarkable, remarkable messianic prophecy. And this is where Isaiah 7.14 comes from. That's the background. Ahaz isn't listening. Two kings are going to come in and they're going to crush them. And Isaiah comes and, he, and, and Ahaz isn't listening to Isaiah. And he comes in 7.14, he says, Therefore, because of everything that's going on, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign, King Ahaz. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You've heard that verse before, haven't you? That's the backdrop of all that. Now, how did a prediction of the virgin birth of the Messiah fit that ancient scene? Isaiah was telling the wicked king that no one would destroy the people of God or the royal line of David. It's not happening, Isaiah was telling Ahaz. It's not going to happen. And when the prophet said, the Lord himself shall give you a sign, he used a plur the plural you, indicating that Isaiah was also speaking to the entire nation, telling them God would not allow Raisin and Pekah kings back then, or anyone else to destroy them and the line of David. And even though the people did come into the hands of Tiglath-Pileser, who did destroy the northern kingdom and overrule Judah on four different occasions, God preserved them just as he promised. Isaiah also referred to another child who would be born in seven. 15 and 16, and I know you're not there, but you can go back and look at this. He referred to another child that would be born in chapter 7, verse 15, 16. It says this, Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings." Folks, before that child would be old enough to eat butter and to eat honey or to know enough to refuse evil or choose good, the lands of King Raisin and King Pekah would be forsaken completely. And sure enough, before the child born to Isaiah's wife was three years old, those two kings were dead just as God said would happen. And just as that ancient prophecy of a child came to pass, so did the prophecy of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ come to pass. It has happened. It's a fact. It's a done deal. 
Both were signs that God would not ultimately forsake his people. God won't forsake Judah, and God won't forsake you and I. The name of the son born to a virgin would be Emmanuel, which being interpreted or translated is God with us. A pregnant virgin. I just keep coming back. A pregnant virgin. Can you understand that? And I come back to what the lady said tonight. God, by faith. The Old Testament repeatedly promises that God is present with his people to secure their destiny in his covenant. He did that. He secured your destiny through a, a virgin that gave birth to God. tabernacle and the temple were intended to be symbols of that divine presence. The term for tabernacle is mishka, which comes from shakan, meaning to dwell or to rest or to abide. And from that root, you get the term shekinah. Have anybody ever heard of the word shekinah before? It also came to refer to what? Yes, the presence of God's glory. The child born was to be the Shekinah glory, the true tabernacle of God. Isaiah was the instrument through which the word of the Lord announced that God would dwell among men in visible flesh and blood, which is more intimate and personal than the tabernacle and the temple in which Israel had worshipped. And that brings us to the last point, the concluding point, the completion concerning the virgin birth. Turn back to your text, verses 24 and 25. Point number five on your outline, the completion concerning the virgin birth. Verse 24, then Joseph being raised from sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. So Joseph wakes up from his dream, filled with revelation from God. God used this way of communication on numbers of different occasions. All six New Testament occurrences of the Greek word onar means dream. They're all in Matthew and they all concern the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the only reaction we know about Joseph is that he immediately obeyed doing what the angel commanded him to do. Folks, you can imagine how amazed, how relieved, how grateful Joseph must have felt. I don't understand it, but I'm so happy at this point. Best night of sleep I've ever had. Now let's get up and let's get moving. Let's obey the Lord. We don't have to understand him. Do you understand it today? You don't have to understand it today. But by faith, you need to trust and believe God, just as by faith you trusted in his son to save you from your sin. Not only would he be able to take his beloved Mary as his wife and honor with honor, but he would be given care of God's own son while he was growing up. How would you like to do that? I see Mark with a son. Uh, I see other young men here. How would you like? How would you like to raise the son of God? I mean, that's a whole other topic. How would you like to raise the son of God? Incredible. That's Joseph. We don't know much at all about Joseph's life. His taking the infant to, uh, Jesus to the temple for dedication, 
his taking Mary and Jesus into Egypt to protect him from Herod's bloody edict and the return, and his taking his family to the Passover in Jerusalem when Jesus was 12 years old. That's about it, folks. And we have no idea when Joseph died, but it could have been well before Jesus began his public ministry. Obviously, it was before Jesus' crucifixion because at the crucifixion, what did he say? Jesus gave his mother to who? The care of who? John. So dad's not around. The, the legal father, the earthly father, he's not around. Apparently, the marriage ceremony when Joseph took Mary as his wife was held soon after the angel's announcement. But Matthew makes it clear that Mary remained a virgin until she gave birth, implying that normal marital relations began after she gave birth to Jesus. Meaning, they never had sex, they never were intimate, they never made love after Jesus was born, folks. You have to understand, it's that powerful of a passage. It's that powerful what God is doing in the virgin birth. The supernatural birth of Jesus is the only way to account for that life that Joseph lived. A skeptic, and I'm almost finished here, a skeptic who denied the virgin birth once asked a Christian, if I told you that child over there was born without a father, would you believe me? The believer replied, yes, if he lived as Jesus lived, yes, I would believe you. Folks, the greatest outward evidence of Jesus' supernatural birth and deity is the whole rest of the Gospels. When you leave Matthew 1 and you walk through Jesus' public life and you see a flawless, sinless, perfect, pure, loving, gracious, merciful life, Savior, you can't help but sit back and say, listen, I don't quite understand this virgin birth stuff, but boy, do I believe it. And I just wanted to take two Wednesdays, and I wanted to come before you, and I wanted you, the best of your ability, to step in the scene with Joseph and Mary and get it. You're not stupid if you don't believe or understand the virgin birth, but you by faith believe in what God has done. It's supernatural. It's not natural. And God did it to save you and I, to bring you to the end of your life, to bring you to the end of your sin, and bring you unto himself. Aren't you grateful that Jesus Christ did that for you and I tonight? That's the virgin birth. I hope it really resonates. I hope you think about it more. I, think, I hope you uh, go through it even more. Maybe read it this Christmas together as a family and talk about it more. I hope it impacts your life. I hope it brings thankfulness and joy into your life this Christmas season. Jim's going to come up and he's going to lead us in a closing hymn one day and the thing that I came for tonight is this most of you folks are believers if there is anyone here tonight and you're like well I'm a religious guy but I don't know about this relationship with Christ stuff I don't know if I'm a child of God I don't I, I'm, 
I don't know. You, this is a great season to come to Christ. Some good folks here that can simply sit down with the Word of God and help you understand how not to be a religious person, but how you can have a living relationship with Jesus Christ, confessing your sins, admitting you're a sinner, and accepting the free gift of grace, of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Tonight I came because most of you are believers, and tonight I just wanted to take and inject you with a, in a shot of adrenaline of the virgin birth. I hope you th never think of it as common ever again, and you're so thankful for what God has done.